Hello, and welcome to Serene Reflections, a podcast of Dharma Talks from the Wallawa Buddhist Temple. I am Rev. Clarissa Beattie, a Zen monk and Buddhist priest from the mountains of Northeast Oregon, where we practice contemplative meditation, the Chan of Bodhidharma, the Zen of Dogen, the Serene Reflection Meditation of Rev. Master G.U. Kennett. You are invited to let yourself grow naturally still, to let go of the world for a while. Join us in listening in sound, in listening in stillness, turning within to listen from the heart that seeks the way. In the age-old story of the life of the Buddha, there comes a point often missed in the retellings. Siddhartha has long since left his pleasure palace, long since cut his long hair, long since embarked on his years of ascetic wanderings. If mentioned at all, this oft-overlooked passage in the narrative comes on the heels of two major realizations. After his essential understanding that the path to liberation lies in following the middle way beyond the extremes, and after he accepts the kind offering of nourishing food to sustain his body in his straightforward practice of simple meditation. Because each of these last two realizations is so significant, they resound and often eclipse the quiet teaching which sometimes follows. It is said that upon finishing his meal, he placed his empty bowl in the river, saying, If I can reach enlightenment, let this bowl float upstream. And the bowl, released from his grip, rather than being swept away in the current, indeed begin to move against the course of the water and float up the flowing river toward the source. Though this seems impossible, it's not just miraculous, nor is it merely magical. This part of the Buddha's life story is pointing to the teaching on what becomes possible for all of us when we realize our true mind. When, like Siddhartha, we say, Yes, I can, and I will. The Buddha was a human being, and with his example he demonstrated what a human being is capable of.
Here in the story, the river is the pole of the worldly mind. It's the power of society's norms and standards, which we have taken on and which we perpetuate within, out of habit. The empty bowl is the heart-mind, our true nature. When I encounter the strength of my own willingness, the potential of the bodhicitta or Buddha-mind within me, what previously would have seemed beyond my imagining becomes real. And I may begin to grow aware of how I am being tugged this way and that in the powerful flow of the habitual worldly mind. And when I let go of my personal ideas and opinions and willingly follow the deeper call from within the heart, the true mind awakens. Buddhism is not just a meditation practice. It is equally the practice of the Buddhist precepts, the ethical life. Something beckons me not just to sit still, but also to behave as a decent person. What is it? to stay true to the inner prompting? What is it to follow the precepts? What is it to loosen my grip and let the mind float upstream? The Buddhist precepts are expressed in Soto Zen in words as the 16 precepts. This expression of them encompasses first the three refuges or three treasures of Buddha Dharma and Sangha, and then the three pure precepts, and finally the ten great precepts. These words are meant to serve as guidelines, not orders or commandments, and as such they are often put in terms of behaviors which we undertake rather than imperatives. But they are, in the deepest sense, imperative if I wish to live in harmony with my own Buddha nature. They are also entirely voluntary is why we Buddhists will remind ourselves of them when we renew our vow to practice them, reciting the Kesa verse at the start of each day. The sixteen precepts are our refuge, and they are our promise. The three pure precepts express the deepest wish of the heart to cease from doing harm, to do only good, and to do good for others. 
It's this expression of the precepts which often resonates so deeply in a world that seems mired in waste and destruction. It's this benevolent wish which moves us to be kind, to be generous, to do the right thing even when it's not immediately to our personal advantage. And still, the pull of the habitual currents of the worldly mind can be strong, especially when we resolve to do something different. Upon first hearing the ten great precepts, one man very much agreed with them in theory and thought to himself, Yeah, that's easy. Of course I keep them all the time already. Immediately and with great confidence, he spoke to a monk about formally taking them and becoming a Buddhist by vowing to keep them for life. The monk gently suggested he might wish to read over the ten great precepts each day and reflect on them, perhaps before or after doing his daily meditation. Doing this, after a week, the man realized he wasn't keeping any of them. In despair, he went back for help to the monk, who said, Good. Now you can really begin to do the work of a lifetime. What are the Ten Great Precepts? In their simplest form, they are as follows. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not say that which is not true. Do not sell the wine of delusion. Do not speak against others. Do not be proud of yourself and devalue others. Do not be mean in giving either dharma or wealth. Do not be angry. Do not defame the three treasures. When we begin to train with the precepts, as the man did in the story, it can help to pick just one and work on that one for the day, or for a little while. Trying this, we find that to truly follow a single one of the ten great precepts leads to the heart of them all. What is the heart of the precepts? Where does the practice lead?
Really, I can't know this until I have tried my level best to actually do it, moment after moment, day after day, not just in theory, but in real life. This may begin with such a simple thing. Take, for example, the precept on not speaking against others. Reverend Master Jiu describes her own work in this area in her chapter, How to Live the Life of Buddha, from Roar of the Tigress, Volume 1, in the section called Precepts, the Everyday Acts of Buddhas. I am struck by her honesty with herself and with us in sharing her experience. She says, Look at your character. Only you can know your character thoroughly and choose the one that is best for you. And that's the one you start with and see how well you can keep it. I used to love gossip at one time, and I can remember that I decided the one I was going to start with was talking about others. I discovered that for three days I didn't say a word. And here she laughs. Which showed me how much wasted breath I'd been coming out with. And then I started thinking about how to talk to people and about what was truly useful conversation. So you start from the known and work to the unknown. And by keeping one precept, you end up keeping the whole lot. And you end up knowing the eternal. And that's what you're out to do. It's one thing to say that I feel drawn to Buddhism, to think, if I had a religion at all, it would be Buddhism. It's another to take up the practice and really give it a good try, to see if it might be for me, if it might be of use. Having done this, there may also be the step of formally vowing to keep the Buddhist precepts to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. And, just because I may not yet have taken this last step, doesn't mean that I can't resolve to try to keep the precepts as best I can from the very moment I recognize their value. The good man in the story recognized the value of the precepts the moment he heard them. Becoming Buddhist doesn't make us holy. Becoming Buddhist means I am working on opening my heart. Taking the precepts doesn't make us holy. The precepts help us to practice letting go of clinging. 
all of us are, in fact, already holy, already filled with bodhicitta, already pure Buddha nature. We just don't always act from this place because we are so easily caught in the current of the river. But on the flip side of each precept expressed as do not, there is the expression of what we long to do. Not only is there the wish not to kill, there is the longing to cherish all life. Not only is there the desire not to be miserly, there is equally the pure intention to be generous. And on and on through all the ten precepts, setting the purity of our true essence free from the confines of the suffering world of greeds, hates, and delusions, free of all that is done in ignorance. On this 25th anniversary of Reverend Master Jiu's death, I am reminded of the week I formally took the precepts from her at Jukai. Reverend Master Jiu translated the Japanese word Jukai as the ceremonies for the opening of the Gate of the Ten Precepts. And she called the week of Jukai the most important set of ceremonies in the life of a layman. When I took Jukai, I was in my mid-twenties. It was, at that time, less than three years before the end of her life. She was limited in mobility and physical energy, and yet her bright benevolent presence permeated the walls and cloisters of the monastery, even the air. There was no question but that she was entirely present at each of the daily ceremonies she attended, that her heart was open, that she was so clearly pointing the way through the example of her own behavior with every being she encountered. For that is how the precepts are passed on, through example. They're not some abstract law. They are the very embodiment of the Buddha's life and teaching. The precepts are the life of the Buddha, who lives on in those who follow in his footsteps. They are the Buddha's footsteps. The Buddhist precepts are available to all who choose to follow where they lead. They open us to our true nature, to our innermost heart. They beckon and they wait. The precepts do not judge. They reflect. They reflect the Buddha nature.
So in this sense, by following the precepts, we are on our way not only to becoming Buddhist, but to becoming Buddha. The behavior of the precepts is the behavior of a Buddha. Not because it's expressed in so many words, but because it's the foundation of great wisdom, of the awakened mind. Because it is the very deepest wish of my heart. Reverend Master Jiu passed on the precepts not merely in formal ceremonial. When the precepts are freely offered, when they are wholeheartedly received, they point the way. Each one of us must walk the way, each in our own way, in order to fulfill the potential of the gift we both receive and offer in turning the heart in their direction. The precepts do not change, though their infinite facets may reveal themselves to us over time as we open. The precepts simply are, and we reach, we come and go, we stumble and get up, and we keep going, doing the best we can, becoming Buddha, opening to what the following makes possible. The Kesa verse is first recited at Jukai by the one who has just answered in the affirmative. The question, Is it your wish to become a Buddhist? And who has then immediately taken the three refuges? Upon receiving the token Kesa of the Buddha symbolizing our embrace of our wish to live by the precepts, and thereafter, with the dawn of each coming day, Buddhists affirm our vow to train with the recitation of this Kesa verse, expressing the deepest wish of the heart. How great and wondrous are the clothes of enlightenment, formless and embracing every treasure. I wish to unfold the Buddha's teaching that I may help all living things. Thank you for joining us in listening to Serene Reflections 
from the heart that seeks the way. To learn more about this practice, including more about how to meditate, you are invited to visit our website at walawabuddhisttemple.org. Here, in the Kanzayan Shrine of our Meditation Hall, we offer the merit of our practice of serene reflection meditation to all beings, including you, wherever you may be.